Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. Uh, As usual, we have a great show for you today. I'm joined by my good friend, Katana. How are you, young lady? I'm doing incredible. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, well, you're always, well, you dress up, uh, Steve, and I don't know if this is appropriate to say or not, but she dresses up the studio quite nicely, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And Steve Bates is our guest. He is an author. He's, he's got a great book called Castle of Sand that is, that is out. He is a, a science fiction writer, but he's also an AI expert and, uh, He's been researching that a great deal because it's it's happening and and uh, Katana is interested in that and so I thought it would be great to have the two of you together and we could uh, play a little bit if that's all right. Uh, yeah. so, Steve, welcome to the show. How you doing? Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Um, very good. And let's talk a little bit about uh, before we begin. Really, let's talk about Castle of Sand. Because it's uh, it's a book that's recently out. Yes, and uh, I want to talk about that because I think it's worth somebody. It's worth buying so and reading. Well, the the book came out in July in paperback, and a couple months later in uh, in uh, ebook form. And uh, it, it's sort of about AI, but it's I mean it's all also about humans and how we're going to relate to AI. I mean. We will be creating and are creating AI. We're doing it with the hope and expectation that it will do what we want it to do, but we don't really know that for sure. So I've sort of dived into that a little bit. I have two AIs in Castle of Sand. Um, The storyline is basically that there's a terrible uh, epidemic on earth, pandemic that's wiping out civilization. A bunch of people leave in an emergency quick basis on a spaceship it takes hundreds of years to find a habitable planet, and none of the people who were alive when the rocket ship left uh, uh, are still alive. But we do have some folks who have been preserved by having their consciousnesses saved in computers, and and they are being tasked with recreating the human race from a bunch of uh, cells they've got uh, in the spaceship. Uh, on this strange planet, and they've got to fight each other. There's a native race that's human-like that they have to battle, and there is an AI that has basically consumed the whole planet, a planet-wide AI, and that's really a, uh, a real test for our, uh, our Earth uh, survivors. So they're trying to set up a new civilization, wondering if it's possible, wondering if they should even try to do it. Uh, on this uh, on this planet and uh, running into all kinds of trouble. How did they plan on reproducing, or were they just going to create a bunch of new AIs? Well, what they now what they had uh, there were three types of uh, humanity, I guess, on the ship when it left. There were some live people. Some of their descendants lived, you know, almost until the time the the new planet was found, but they. Uh, died of starvation. There were others who were in um, cryogenic preservation, but they couldn't be revived properly. But there were some sperm cells, there were some eggs, uh, a little bit of kidney, a little of this, a little of that. But anyway, they were able to, with the help of the AI, 
friendly AI, mostly friendly AI that went with them on the ship and was in charge of guidance and everything. They were able to create uh, about 20 uh, live people, bring them to adulthood, and then have them mate constantly to try and keep everything rolling and establish a new civilization. Um, as much as it sounds like a great idea, some of these uh, you know first generation people on this new planet weren't so sure that they should just be following this this plan. After all, they didn't ask to be there. They had no connection with Earth anymore and humanity. And it's like, okay, we'll we'll just do our own thing. So that uh, that is yet another challenge for these uh, uh, people to uh, to try to uh, get around. Um, there are some efforts and hopes and beliefs that some of these preserved consciousnesses can eventually inhabit some of these bodies. It doesn't quite work out, but they do get new robotic forms that give them a lot more leeway than just being stuck in a computer somewhere, which, I mean, it kind of feels like we're sort of like that some days. Um, and it goes from there into a traumatic, difficult, but ultimately happy ending. Now, how long were you writing this book? I spent about a year and a half on it, uh, not counting three months when I had uh, Lyme disease and was pretty much laid up. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I find that I can write an outline and spend anywhere from three to six months on an outline, just on the outline, um, because I, I need to know where it's going what the characters are doing, how they're going to interact, who I need to kill off and when. And uh, having only written two novels, uh, I've got a third pretty far along in the first draft, but you know, I, I kind of need to know where it's going. Other, uh, some of the great writers will just say, well, I think I'm going to write a story about, well, I don't know. And, and they're just, you know, and they're going into it. And it's like, they find out about halfway through what it's really about. And that's great. And then, you know, but I'm, I'm not at that level or not there yet. So I, I really plan it out and then I start to write. And then of course I throw out half of the outline, but I, at least I have an idea where I'm going. Really cool. Now, I kind of, Donna, uh, I know you have a question or two. Um, if I could say your name, I know you'd have more questions, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I do, yeah, do I have a question. Go ahead. So, um, uh, how uh, does the concept of a distant world tie into the overreaching themes of the story and what messages or lessons are conveyed through this narrative uh, element? Oh, okay. Well, the message, there's a couple of messages that I'm trying to convey through these folks. One is that, you know, we're, we're, we're staring the age of AI in the face. It's coming. We don't know exactly when. We don't know exactly how it's going to affect us, but ultimately it's going to set up a, a potential conflict that we have to think about, we have to plan for. Um, in theory, the people who are designing and building the future AIs, the ones that have the potential to be not just parroting what we say, like some of the chatbots now, but actually putting together unique creative thoughts, engaging in dialogue, and hopefully not coming back from the future and killing us, but at least helping us, you know, in some way. We need to think about how we're going to to deal with them. And in the process, um, we might need to think about what it means to be human. I mean, is there is there the possibility 
I think there is, that someday there will be some sort of convergence between humans and artificial intelligence and the machines they're based in. I mean, we already see people augmenting their bodies with all sorts of uh, metallic and other devices, uh, many of them uh, being tested now, like uh, microchips implanted directly into brains are being tested now. And, and we are teaching our computers and our machines to, to think, actually te teaching them to educate themselves. And they're going out and uh, doing some amazing things in some cases. So there may be just some sort of convergence where we are partially mechanical, partially artificial, and the AIs are brought into the, the human family. It would be awkward and difficult, but we just need to think about once AIs are smarter than us, the singularity arrives, how are we going to relate to them? Are we going to control them? Are they going to control us? Will there be some sort of truce? Um, the other message, basic message uh, I was trying to get across is that civilization is fragile. And I think we see that quite um, uh, liberally throughout this book in that we are looking at the possibility of with only about fewer than 20 live humans at one point on this hostile planet with a, uh, a hostile uh, race of uh, in indigenous persons and with this big AI taking control of the entire planet, it's so hard to see a road forward for these people to establish a permanent society, um, uh, one that can continue to build, that will have adequate, uh, um, you know, variation in their genetic gene pool so that the, the civilization does not die out. And, you know, I, we have seen so many, you know, civilizations on, on Earth, the Romans, the Greeks, the ancient Egyptians, all thinking, you know, they can't fail. They, they will just go on forever. And a couple hundred years, uh, there's barely any record of them. So those are the two main messages, sort of what does it mean to be human now and in the future? And let's think about how fragile civilization is. And uh, that is both of these themes are very prominent for my main character, Maria Ramos, who is a uh, kind of a soccer mom who's uh, just kind of got caught up in the whirlwind of, of the uh, rush to leave Earth and get to this new planet. She's there in a robotic body, but she's kind of the fulcrum, the, the inflection point to, you know, keep things moving forward for this new, new group of people. You know, I got to ask you, Steve, because I was looking at your bio and you've done more than just be a novel writer. You work for one of my favorite uh, um uh, publications, which would be the Washington Post. Uh, yes, I did. It's been a while, but it was uh, it's it was a great place to work, um, especially election night. You know, we just had an election, and it was always uh, fascinating to be writing a story and then rewriting it every 90, 60 to ninety minutes as new results came in for each different edition of the paper. There's the first edition that goes to the far out suburbs, etc. Um, and and just sort of watching the editors saying, well, okay, we're going to call this for so-and-so, so-and-so won it. Um, and the other great thing about it is, is that they always fed us so well on election night. I mean, really. <laughs> and uh, that and on Super Bowl Sundays, I had to work some Super Bowl Sundays. And, and uh, back when Ben Bradley was the 
the in charge, you know, he felt really guilty that we couldn't watch, particularly when the local team was playing. So we'd always have a great spread. But uh, no, it was it was a fascinating place. I was a little kind of a small cog and, you know, in a big machine um, working mostly in the suburbs. Though I did do some some couple of nights a week uh, for a while as the night city editor. Oh, now, did you know uh, Bernstein and uh, and the other guy? Woodward, yeah, well. Woodward, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, Bernstein was gone by the time I got there in the, uh, in the 80s. He was off doing other things. Woodward, I had a few interactions with, but not a whole lot. Um, but um, he was a, uh, and is, a fascinating, intelligent individual, um, very, um, I don't want to say demanding, but, you know, had very high standards. Um, you know, he, you couldn't publish anything that didn't have, you know, multiple sources absolutely nailed down. And, you know, considering that he had already such an incredible reputation by the time I got there in the early 80s, um, you know, he, he, throughout his career, he never, never wavered from that. You know, I got to ask you, because uh, I'm sure you you've know this. That there is, and <laughs> Gaetana, we'll return to the interview in just a second. But I gotta yeah, no, ask, no, I'm curious to know more. Yes, <laughs> I, I gotta ask Steve this in uh, today's society, there is something that's gone wrong, and that is that journalistic integrity. Um, first of all, there are, I know the Washington Post, uh, along with Woodward and others, had have standards that you are not able, you have to document everything and it's got to be substantiated by more than one person um, in order for it to, to make the, uh, uh, the, the copy. And what do you think about when people start talking in terms of fake news and, and that the Washington Post or the New York Times and other ones are writing stories that are just not true? I don't believe that's the case. What do you think? Well, there are ample opportunities for people to prove wrong an article that appears in a major publication like the Post and the Times. Um, if there is solid evidence, um, the paper will modify, uh, retract, um, do all sorts of things to correct uh, a false report. They don't seem to happen all that frequently, but one or two that are that are bad will get a lot of attention, have a lot of shelf life, and will impact, you know, the reputation of a publication. Um, do you remember? I don't know if you remember. Way back in the day, there was an article. I think it was called Jimmy's World about a teenage or preteen boy in the city of Washington who was a heroin addict. And um, the person who wrote the story eventually broke down and, and admitted that she invented it. And oh, that's right. she went for it and back. And Mr. Bradley was not very happy about that. And I don't blame him. But when you have these things happen, there is usually accountability. Now, when you get to different areas of publications, when you get to um, you know news channels, I'm not going to talk about politics, I'm not going to talk left or right, but there are plenty of news organizations on cable. There are many on the internet um, that are really just either 
propaganda pretending to be a news organization, or they're just speculation, or they're just making things up for attention and ratings. So you have a, such a broader source of information now that people don't even perhaps think about you know, those major news organizations versus the rest of the, the inner universe of, of content providers. You have this whole spectrum of content providers and a whole spectrum of different things they're saying, and you really aren't sure who to trust and what to trust. And I remember my son telling me, well, he's 39 now, so it had to be when he was in his 20s, but it was you know, maybe about 15 years ago, less perhaps, that he got his news from The Daily Show. <laughs> That's where he got his news. And you know, as you know, as someone who's grown up reading newspapers, and I still get the newspaper every day, I was saying, "Oh, okay, things are changing." And now it's like I'd be happy if someone were getting their news from the Daily Show because it probably would be a lot more <laughs> straightforward and true than some of the stuff we're seeing on on blogs, etc. Well, tell me, and, and I'd love your opinion on this. Tell me if it's true. I think that, and like you just said, the Washington Post and New York Times, nobody's infallible. Occasionally, there will be um, a uh, misprint or something that's set out of context or something. And normally, the the publication, being the Washington uh, Post or the New York Times, will make a retraction. They'll they'll in be as public as they can to make sure that everybody gets it. But there are, now there are news outlets and there are content creators like Positive Talk Radio, but one of the reasons we don't talk about this stuff a lot, the only reason we're talking about it is because of the depth of your expertise. But there are a lot of content creators that don't have the journalistic standards that you need to have in order to go deep dive into some of these topics. And then you have the ones that are out after clicks. And the more, and they need more clicks in order for them to become a thing, and so they're willing to say almost anything that is sensational in nature, in order to be uh, successful. Am, am I kind of correct in how the landscape is now? That's how that's the way it is, and people have to know that any content is suspect. Any content is suspect. And even more so now, as we're starting to see more AI-generated content. Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I said yes. Yeah, because I see it out there. It's fascinating, but at the same time, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I haven't seen the, the papers, but I've been told there's a lawsuit by a, an author who has written books, and they're available you know, through Amazon and wherever you buy books. Um, and a, uh, an AI took all the things she had written, sort of scrambled it all up, rearranged it, and created a new book using her words in different ways, put her name on as the author, and started to sell it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, the, you know, the author wasn't very happy, and she's suing. But we're getting into this point in this uh, evolution or revolution involving AI where we've unleashed all these machines and these these programs and we really aren't sure what they're doing and going to do and we really are going to be behind the eight ball trying to control what it does 
And so when the next generation and the generation after that of AIs come along, you know, we're going to be really up against it in terms of just understanding what is true and what is not. I mean, you can have, you know, AIs that are just exceedingly well programmed and only do what you tell them to do. But there's going to be so much commercial pressure to come up with the best new thing mm-hmm. um, in this uh, the, the next novel I'm working on. Um, there's uh, people, everyone, just about everyone has a microchip implanted in their head. And someone's come up with a new app called Chipmunk, C-H-I-P-M-O-N-K, <laughs> that allows you to feel what other people are feeling through their, all their senses, sight and vision and touch. Mm. And some of it is pretty icky, but anyway, so that, that's going on. But then it's like somebody is starting to think, oh, someone's using this in my head to make me think things and see things that aren't true. News reports about the president being taken over by a strange foreigner force or something. So yeah, we're getting to the point where reality is going to be quite fungible. I haven't see, seen in the, in, in the job platforms, you know, about for writers, uh, they they they're putting an emphasis and don't rely on AI. You need to be able to write, you know, from your head right away without using this this platform, which is I I think is yeah fair. Yes, um, I write some short stories from time to time, and I had quite a few published. And now when I am trying to sell one in my cover letter, I explain my name and you know who I am and the, what the name of the story I'm writing in the next sentence is, this, this short story was not written by an AI, nor did AI help write it in any way, shape or form. And of course, an AI might be trying to say that and pretend that it, you know, <laughs> it's not the case, but that's the point at which we are. There've been, uh, a couple of magazines, one one sci-fi magazine, Clark's World, that for a while simply stopped accepting all uh, submissions of articles um, simply because it was being flooded with all these AI-generated pieces. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're getting to uh, some sticky points already. It's getting it's getting really, you know, I tell you, with the uh, presidential election coming up, and with all of the people that are running that are talking about different things. You know who one of the most fascinating uh, jobs that's come out in the last five years that never was there before? I remember it never was there when Walter uh, Cronkite was doing the news or any of the other major news, but now they've got them. They've got this. There's a whole industry around fact-checking that's coming up. And now there are people that are saying the fact checkers are not correctly when they're checking the facts. Well, I'm all for fact checking and I'm all for, for, uh, you know, efforts to make sure that what we're seeing and hearing from so-called responsible sources are true. But I would like to see some sort of, I don't know if you'd call it a civics class or whatever training for young people where they go through school to tell them to question everything they read and see particularly, you know, video, um, because it might or might not be true and it might or not, might not be being provided in a way that is fair and, and, and reasonable. And, you know, you, there are just so many ways that we can be manipulated, certainly just in ads to try and grab us to buy a product or a service, you know, there, you know, you sort of know what's going on, but when you get into the news realms and you're, 
talking about important issues and where people stand. It's so easy to deep fake some politician to make them look like they're doing something very terrible and saying something terrible. And these things take on lives of their own. So yeah, we, we all, all of us need to be cautious and questioning about what we read and see uh, on our screens. It, it, it kills me. You know that there are people wandering around this country who believe that John F. Kennedy is still alive. Yeah. And there are others that believe his son is going to be running for pre vice president with Donald Trump this year. He's going to come magically. Ooh. I don't know where he's going to I don't know where he's been hiding. But yeah. suddenly... He's been hanging out with Elvis. Uh, his boy, <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. Well, I'm <laughs> Steve, you've been, you've been around a, a long time, around media and stuff. How long do you think that this farcical stuff can continue before we say enough? Come on, guys. We need to be honest and have integrity. You know, people like to be entertained. Um, so it may, you know, the, if you turn on the, the, the network news on any, any station, all you see are these ads for Metamucil and these other adult, you know, senior products, because no one except old people watches the nightly news, the evening news. They get their news or their information from other sources. So we just have to hope that they're, they're questioning and keeping a, an open mind. Um, the other side of this coin is, is that people believe what they want to believe. You know, I want to believe that there's space aliens out there. You know, I would love to start a, you know, a focus group or a, a you know, self-help group for people who have been, um, you know, abducted by aliens because they need, you know, and I'd be willing to give time to the aliens too if they want to come on the channel. But, but you know, people believe what they want to believe. They believe that, you know, Area 51 is still hiding alien bodies and they believe that, you know, Joe Biden is 140 years old and they're fine, you know, they're welcome to that. But, you know, we, when we look at our leaders and who we pick in elections, let's just hope that we're really going, you know, beyond the ephemeral, you know, slogans and everything and, and looking at what people are really saying that they intend to do and what they have done. Exactly. Kaitana, questions? Question, yes. Um, uh, um, so I have a question, yeah. Um, can you provide, a, okay, maybe not, can you elaborate on the world building aspects related to the distant world, including its environment, inhabitants, and any unique features that make it crucial for mankind's survival? Oh, you want to know what the world should look like or is going to yeah. look like in the... In yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm right now like picturing as movies that come to my head because right. I, I believe this can be a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the. I think that you know, looking, just trying to look five, ten, twenty years ahead is so hard, and fifty or hundred years is really difficult. Uh, I'm concerned that the gap between the affluent and the poor persons and countries and regions of the world will continue to grow. And that as we have climate change uh, and other, you know, developments such as AI, um, there's going to be a, a, a greater gap. And I think there are people and organizations, private ones, uh, foundations that have really started to tackle this. And they're 
you know, that we have so much sci-fi writer in particular, we talk about the technology that we will have, you know, maybe we'll have fusion power, which is almost free. You know, if we can, if we can manage to, you know, to make these, uh, you know, currently uh, experimental things work on a massive basis in 50 years, we could have free and limited power for the entire world. That would give people the opportunity to get education, to move from a poor village to a better location, uh, improve drinking water and diets, um, uh, control, you know, give them control over the, you know, the climates uh, in their microclimates, perhaps improve, you know, housing and things like that. So there are some wonderful possibilities for our civilization down the road, but will we make the right decisions in the next few years that allow those things to happen? That's what concerns me. But I could see a day when people will, many people will not even have to work. They can create, they can spend their days creating, whether it's a podcast or a novel or a quilt or whatever you want to create, uh, because we will have mastered the technology enough that you know they provide us with our food and clean water and uh, entertainment. You know they they write the great novel that I can't write. Some AI might be able. Housing. <laughs> so I, you know I see a, a, and we're on positive talk radio, and I'm going to be positive and say I can see this happening in several decades if we don't kill ourselves in the short term. <laughs> you know it's, it's interesting, and I wanted to ask you because I didn't catch you do it last time. But I wanted to ask you because some of the greatest forward-thinking things have come out of the works of science fiction writers. Gene Roddenberry comes to mind. Um, uh, there's there's some in the past that they've they've predicted what was going to happen, and then it came true. Why do you think it's science fiction writers? Is it because you're just using your your imagination to come up, and then people are making that happen, or are you guys wired differently? Well, we're, there's a wide variety of, of science fiction. Some people are not trying to predict the future. Some are just trying to make you think about certain ideas and, and situations. I read so many nonfiction books a year, cosmology, physics, you know, uh, uh, books about, you know, the mind and the brain. Um, and the things I'm reading are just more amazing than almost any science fiction I've read. Um, you know, we are seeing a lot of fair amount, fair number of experts, quote unquote experts, uh, professors who are saying, for example, that there are multiple and perhaps an infinite number of universes. Um, there are people studying, um, you know, with backgrounds in mathematics who are telling us that there may be as many as 11 dimensions <laughs> and that we only know four of them in the fourth new time. So, you know, there are these things that are being thrown out there. We know so much about how the universe works, but every time we get a new insight, someone has to admit, boy, we, maybe we really don't know how it works. We think that, you know, Newton thought he had it nailed. Einstein thought he had it nailed. Now all the people looking at, you know, gravitational waves and string theory are saying, well, I don't think we have it nailed. So 
there's a lot going on that we just don't know. So what I do is I try and say, you know, I'm looking at what these people are actually saying about multiple universes, about the fact that we could be, the, our entire universe could be a hologram. There are many people saying that. Um, some other things like this. You have to, as a science fiction writer, embrace the real if you're going to go and try and show something that is unreal or beyond the real. So, yeah, it, it takes a long time to come up with some of the best ideas, <laughs> but uh, there are some people out there doing fabulous, fabulous work in, in science mm -hmm. fiction that I am very jealous of, but uh, <laughs> it's inspired me to try and keep thinking up new crazy ideas. Yeah, but you're doing well. And, and, uh, and Steve um, Bates has written the book Castle of Sand. And if you want to go to his website, you can do that. You can go to stevebateswriter.com and learn more about him and the book. And you can even buy the book from him, I would imagine. Yeah. And that would be a great place for you to buy the book because then Steve gets some of the money anyway. So that's good. <laughs> Would you be doing a um, um, listening book, audio book? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working on one now. <laughs> I uh, spent about four or five months on an outline and I've been writing since about Labor Day. And it's really fun because you are forcing yourself to go into a different world. <clears throat> when you were writing a novel. Um, and sometimes I can sort of almost see it, but I need to be able to see it clearly to be able to write it and present it in detail. And, um, you know, when you try to show something that's gonna be happening in 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, you really have to believe it. You don't have to, you don't wanna just think, well, we'll all have magic carpets and no one knows how it works, but you know, you can write off of them. And there's wonderful writers who do, you know, more of a fantasy than a pure science fiction. And I read some of those and I love them. But for me and for a lot of science fiction writers, it has to be something that when you read it, you say, oh, yeah, that could happen. That could really happen. And, and that's where I'm headed with this this new story. Yeah. So, Caetana, is there anything that in the science fiction world that you can foresee happening in the future that has just kind of rattled around in your brain Maybe maybe you and Steve can flush it out a little bit and 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 come up with something. Is there anything that you th you think about? Oh my God! Um, I mean, I was throwing my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just like many. I have like everything. You know, all these ideas, all these words come to my head. Uh, I yeah. Maybe. Uh, I'll tell you what. You think about it, and and then <laughs> whenever whenever you come up with something, you just raise your hand, and then we'll. We'll, okay, we'll, okay. We'll because you know my Steve, my favorite one is um, Gene Roddenberry because he says he said exactly what you said is that there is going to come a time, provided we don't you know blow ourselves up or starve to death or something like that, that we are going to be able to follow our heart and live our passion because all the mundane things in life are being taken care of right. for us. We'll be able to eat. We'll be able to drink. We'll live in a house that's prefabricated and, and to our specifications and all of that. And it's being done by robots and other things so that we can dedicate our lives to what we choose to do. Well, the, my dream world. It could be great. Yeah. <laughs> hope, that, hope that the, the benefits of this are spread somewhat equally 
around the world and are not just enjoyed by a few. We've seen quite a few science fiction stories about uh, you know people living in orbit in these wonderful civilizations with you know absolute uh, perfection and everyone lives forever and you know the rest of the world or the planet is living in poverty and just you know supporting the the few elites up there so there, there's plenty of stories that can act as uh, you know warnings to make sure that we do provide the benefits that we develop to as many people as possible i don't believe that that at the end of the day that may work for a little while but some some group of people are going to say i want what they have yeah and then they're going to they're going to reach out and they're going to take it and we're going to go back they're going to go back, back to the, to the, the beginning again <laughs> now i don't i don't foresee a day when we're going to be able to use the transporter that they had on Star Trek. Right. You know, I, I think the, the EPA or somebody would just say, no, that's a little too too dangerous. Somebody would come and crack down on that. But the, a lot of the other things we've seen, um, you know, the, you know, non-invasive surgery from the whatever the devices they had on Star Trek, things like that. Yeah, we're going to see those probably within our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the one out there. Did you ever watch a Star Trek uh, Next Generation? Occasionally, yeah. Somewhere. They had the holodeck. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that was great. Yeah, but that's almost... Ha- they, they are very close to being able yeah, to reproduce absolutely. the holodeck today. Yes. you only all, The only limitation is just having enough uh, computer processing power. And as we uh, move from digital to um, quantum computers... That's going to be happening um, and going to be amazing. Yeah. I want to be in there. I want to be one of the first. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and that would be a great way to spend a vacation. You could go someplace special and never leave your house. Yeah. Yeah. I'm for that. Everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Wouldn't wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be? Kaitana, do you have another question? No, I said it would be super cool traveling to all these places without leaving your home, but by really feeling it and breathing it and, you know, and, yeah, being immersed into the whole experience. Yeah, I mean, I guess some people are doing it right now with these um, goggle, go, yeah, those goggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, there's something I about mean, the goggles. There, that is, I, I, there you go. Yeah, there you yeah. have it. <laughs> but I feel sometimes it can be. I think commercials right now, for example, Apple is doing their, their version, and I, it, to me, it's so weird that someone is waiting this and trying to communicate with someone when I, I need to see the eyes, you know, like if something that I, it's very important to me to see the, the eyes yeah. of the person I'm talking to, the expression and the face. But with this thing, it's a little bit impossible. It feels a little bit from another world. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's maintaining personal contact will probably be a challenge as we move further into the age of technology and AI. And that's something that, you know, we're going to have to insist on. Um, as individuals, yeah, yeah, I agree. And and now, do you think that we, as a, I hate to talk about the government because uh, there's so many viewpoints on that, but do you think that they have got enough brain power and got their act together enough to be able to create some um, regulations around AI that'll keep us safer, or is it going to be get caught up in? in the politics of the day and and it's going to end up you know mm. nothing's going to happen um the politics of the day are probably not the biggest hurdle it's it's 
finding that magic cure or that, you know, that program or, or approach that keeps human control of AI yet allows it to do amazing and powerful things. And there are people in Europe, um, the uh, EU is, is working on um, laws and regulations. Uh, the US Congress is trying to do that. They're behind Europe on that effort. And the tech industry in the US and the world are trying to come up with uh, you know, principles, if not rules, if not you know, absolute you know, stringent uh, protections. And the issues are basically that no one is quite sure how to do it. You know, if you create an intelligent AI, it's going to be able to find a way around whatever, you know, constraints you put on it, if it wants to, if it has volition. It, we're not at that point. We won't be for decades, if ever. But it could well happen. There, I just saw some expert today predicting that the singularity will happen within 20 years or less. Um, the singularity being when um, AI's computers become more intelligent than humans and more powerful than humans. So, yeah, the, the clock is ticking, but there are folks in Europe and the U.S. at the governmental and industry level working on this. Um, but again, the commercial imperative that you make money and please your shareholders and investors, many of whom will pour tons of money into these startups with little guarantee that they'll ever make any money. But the the rush to create the next best thing in AI will make it very difficult to rein in AI just because everyone wants to be with the newest and the best. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about uh, what um, um, Peter Jackson did with uh, Now and Then, the new Beatles song that came out that was actually written in 79 and they haven't been able to duplicate and then they were able to through ai pull the voice out from the music and separate it all and then remix it and re-record new stuff and all that kind of stuff and that's i mean what 79 was what uh, 40 44 years ago Something, um yeah. what do you think about that capabilities well we're seeing that in in film we're seeing it in content other content and it's just because it can be done it will be done people someone will do it um i don't have a problem with it you know if if i had written the song and someone 44 years later was mishing and mashing it up i might have some issues but you know poor john lennon is so far gone i don't imagine that his uh, widow had any uh objections or we wouldn't have seen that song coming coming out for sale um you know, I haven't seen the, the last Indiana Jones movie, but they, you know, they de-aged him, you know, for part of the movie. Um, that's just where we're headed. It's, ha it's happening and we can grumble about it, but it's just, you know, that's, young people want it, it's gonna happen. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole, uh, do you remember the Selena, the singer who was killed by her manager many years yeah. ago? So they, the family made a new music uh, CD with all songs that she hasn't, she couldn't record, but were there safe, yeah. and they recreated her voice, and it's a new CD out there. Yeah, well, yeah. again, if people were, are going to buy it, it's going to be, you know, that's fine. You know, the the family obviously doesn't have any objections, or they wouldn't have allowed it, and um, it can be a great thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's um, 
you know, we are seeing uh, a lot of entrepreneurship around that sort of thing. Um, you know, people are recording videos and messages mm -hmm. to their descendants that can be played at their gravesite. You know, a video mm -hmm. pop up. You know, you might have the uh, I don't know the Rockettes kicking a little bit. It's the first and warm it <laughs> up, and then you're on there, and you know, you're telling people, uh, you know, remember that Wednesday is trash night and all those other good things to your descendants and stay off the lawn. But <laughs> we're going to we're going to as consumers decide what we want. But, uh, you know, our purchases will decide what type of innovation like uh, the, you know, Selena's works will, you know, be worth, you know, continuing. And um, I mean, that's just kind of the way uh, capitalism has worked all along. It's just that you have to remember not everything you see and hear and experience is always exactly accurate and that's a new thing for a lot of us younger people they won't have a problem with it they can roll with it mm -hmm. those are the five words that i think are going to disappear i saw it on the internet there you go that's yeah. what has to be true right yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I said really <laughs> you, you believe some of that stuff it's like oh, i saw it on the internet so it has to be true yeah, you have to be true <laughs> <laughs> so it's important it's a you know and the one thing that it does steve i think it, it does give personal responsibility back to the individual because it's now going to be important for the individual to not take somebody else's word for it like we were talking about the integrity of of uh, the washington post there's a television outlet that spends part of their day in news and the rest of it in propaganda. And uh, there are people who think that the prop and then people get mixed up. They think the propaganda is news and the news is propaganda. And so then they will spout it like it's true, mm -hmm. but they don't do any research. And yeah. you, you're going to have to do some research on some of this stuff. Don't you think? Yeah. Let's hope people do that. We're, uh, you know we're a kind of suspicious people by nature, so maybe maybe that quality will continue to uh, cause us to question what we uh, see and read and what people tell us. But uh, you know there are some very good influencers on the on the internet. I'm not one of them, but there are some, and uh, it's a talent. But at the same time, um, if I'm kind of the person who just wants to believe a particular thing that you know JFK is alive or whatever. I'm probably just going to believe it, whether or not it's true, no matter how many things I see, you know, uh, newscasts or other sources of information that tell me that's not the case. Um, so personal responsibility is going to be important, but, you know, not everyone is just going to buy into that. Mm -hmm. You have to recognize that there's going to be a certain percentage of our population that is always kind of a uh, little bit misled. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Kaitana, what do you got? I, no, I was just uh, to add to it. I remember a few years ago uh, when the onion came out. That that yeah, I I believe it was true. <laughs> oh my God, you know. And then eventually someone told me it's part of this joke. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the most effective fakery in news is is that which just is just looks like it's 
possible. You know, it's not so outlandish that you know, for example, those folks who believe that, uh, well, the pandas who were in the Washington Zoo was a big deal here in Washington area when the pandas had to go back to China. But you know, there, there are probably a few people who really believe that the pandas were spies for China and they were here and stealing all our secrets before we came to the zoo. And that's, uh, you're not gonna convince everyone, but um, yeah, we're going to hopefully teach our children and they will teach their children to question everything you hear. Mm -hmm. exactly. So, so <clears throat> you know the people I feel sorry for? Cause I, and I could be wrong, but didn't, didn't uh, Walt Disney have himself frozen so that they could thaw him out when they had the technology to, to bring him back to life? Didn't, didn't that happen? I, I'm, I not, I'm not sure. I think so. I don't know for sure. Uh, I had heard that he had recorded messages to be played to executives of the company at certain intervals, sort of like in the uh, in the uh, foundation books from Isaac Asimov, where uh, um, the great scientist dies, but he's recorded these messages for you know to be played at certain periods when he believes there will be new crises. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, civilization crisis. So, you know, it's possible that that's the case. I know other people have tried it. The the baseball player Ted Williams. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, we, you know, I don't think the technology is caught up with the desire yet, but I think things like that will, could become more common. You know, people will have their bodies frozen. They will have their minds uploaded to computers. Um, you know, it. It's going to be a different, different world out there in fifty hundred years. So we have to make a space for all these frozen bodies now. Make housing for them. <laughs> they, yeah. they actually have cryogenic uh, um, warehouses where people that want to get that yeah. done, they can go Absolutely. get that. Done. Oh my god! It, it is. It's the most bizarre thing that yeah. I because <laughs> I don't. Know. Oh, I think it's a little bit egotistic too. You know, like it's good to. I think the evolution and, and organically uh, we are born and then age and then died again and then the continuation continues. I think that's the beautiful part of being human, you know? Well, yeah, it would be kind of neat, and there's been some stories written about this, to have a small number of, or maybe even one person who can somehow be preserved and thought out or reconstituted every... 20, 50, or 100 years and just provide some input to whoever's left about, you know, what happened in the past and, you know, just to provide a, a different different kind of uh, influence on whoever's still in charge, if anyone, in the future. Mm -hmm. Give some advice and before you go back into the freezer or whatever. But, um, you know, <laughs> when you look at the 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 length of the age of the galaxy, the age of, you know, the universe, as far as we know, it's several billion years. Um, you look at how long we as humans have been here, it's almost a blink of an eye. So, you know, we're just at the beginning of our journey and let's hope that it's a long one, but it would be nice, kind of nice to have some sort of, you know, continuity of, of thought, you know, moving forward, I mean, you know, we don't have much of anything more than about two or 3,000 years old in any form uh, that preserved 
that is preserved and, and can be determined, you know, translated or interpreted. Um, so it'd be nice to have some some information that's 100,000, 100 million years old to guide whoever's left uh, in that future. Steve, I got to ask you now, if as a writer, if you were to do a um, kind of a retro science fiction book that were to go back 150, 200,000 years to a civilization that lived on the earth before we got here, or maybe it would be closer to half a million or whatever. Um, is that what would you call that book? Would you still call that sci fi? Yes, yes, I would say so. There have been some, some uh, books and movies along those lines. Um, you know, there is a uh, sort of a subgenre about alternative history. Um, you know, the uh, uh, type of novel like Philip K. Dick wrote in uh, The Man in the High Castle, where uh, Germany and Japan won World War II, and the U.S. has been divided between those two nations. Um, and so some of them go back further. But yes, it's um, those types of novels I consider science fiction. So, Caetana, uh, I know you speak Spanish, but if you had to cho choose between speaking Japanese or German, which would you choose? Uh, oh, you know, Japanese. I think it's, I love the sound of Japanese. It's beautiful. And it's, it writes different. Yeah, it would be fascinating to learn that. I, I think I agree with you because German is a very hard language. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, of course, the German people, maybe it's stereotypical, but they don't have much of a sense of humor either. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, everyone in 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 the man in the high castle, everyone west of the Rockies was was under Japanese control. So mm. you'd be in the you'd be right in your uh, happy place. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I haven't read it, but I might I'm going to. Yeah. Very good. So we've been talking with Steve Bates. Steve, the author, get the book uh, Castle of Sand. Um, uh, Steve, we're going to give you a couple of moments to say anything that you'd like to to our audience and uh, the ones that are listening now and the ones that will be listening later. So uh, tell me anything that's on your mind, whatever you'd like to tell us. Okay. All right. I'll keep it clean. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I mentioned the uh, Asimov series, the foundation series, which started with three novels and then went further than that. Um, I would like to see our experts take Asimov's laws of robotics and try and codify them somehow. Um, the first one was that a robot may not injure a human being. Um, the second one was that it must obey orders from humans. The third was that it must protect itself when it would not conflict with the first two laws. And the final law was that uh, robots should uh, work for the best um, future uh, and the comfort and the success of humanity as a whole. So if we could somehow keep those in mind, I mean, this, this came out in the 50s and 60s, but it's as good as anything I've heard to try and give us, you know, guidance as we move into the age of AI. It would be nice if you could, but then, then uh, oh, by the way, Cayetana, have you ever heard of the movie Help that the, hard, that the Beatles did? The, the one from the Beatles, you say? Yeah, it's called Help. Uh, I don't think so. I saw the yellow submarine. But... <laughs> well, Steve and I watch that movie like once a year. So he's he's a, he's a god like to me. But in that movie, there's a uh, a crazy scientist who wants to take over the world. 
and that's that's what I'm scared of more than anything else. That there's some dude in (laughs) some place and he's being sanctioned and given money by somebody to create this AI Mm -hmm. that that is going to take us all down a a terrible rabbit hole. Um, Steve, what do you think about that? Well, I can tell you that I wouldn't want to rule the world. You know, I have enough trouble balancing my checkbook. Okay. Me either. Exactly. All those exactly. people that will complain all the time, you have Maybe to tell them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's the danger. Um, we don't know that that, you know, can't happen, but um, we still have some time to try and uh, keep an eye on some of these rogue scientists and inventors. And uh, I think we'll have enough pressure from the big companies like Google and all that, you know, these, these uh, uh, rogue actors will just be uh, sort of brought under control and, you know, not, not be allowed to just go crazy and take us over. But uh, I guess that's just being positive. Mm-hmm. Well, and thank you for being positive. After yes. all, this is positive. Talk radio. Uh, Cayetana, uh, do you have anything positive you'd like to say? <laughs> Something positive, positive you'd like to say. Something positive I'd like to say, yes. Uh, um, I am very happy to have met you and uh, and listening to the to your to your podcast to start to your story is inspiring. And um, I wanna watch some movie. Watch the movie help. Yeah. It's and also, you know, something beautiful you mentioned, uh, Isaac Asimov. No, it's Asimov that the science yeah oh my god yeah I, my ex-husband he used to write read all those books and, and uh, yeah so we had this collection of books oh, like, yeah yeah what is this? and he was so fascinated into this world and i love it thank you for uh, mentioning it somebody still reads science fiction yeah me all right <laughs> good. good good so we can well you know uh steve you're one that you'll pick up a book on a a scientific book and read it um, it, it'd make me fall right to sleep. Um, so, but thank you for doing that. And, and, uh, when the, your next book, have you got it started yet? Yes, I have. It's tentatively titled virtual and, uh, you know, it'll, uh, it'll take me a while, but I, I think it'll be sort of put into shape sometime next year and try and find a market for it. And you'll be hearing from me. That's Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we're hoping that uh, uh, Castle of Sand becomes a movie. Before Ooh, that would be great. So yeah. Be I, I'd like to see J-Lo in the starring role. <laughs> you oh, just Maria, want, the, the, yeah, the, the lady, the soccer mom. Perfect. You just want to see her in spandex, be honest. <laughs> Isn't she a part robot, too? You mentioned that she's... Well, yeah. We'll, we'll work on it. There's a way. We'll, we'll find a way to make it. But the human parts are the parts that he'll be interested in. The head. (laughs) We'll leave that to your imagination. I love it. Thank uh, you. Steve, thank you for being here. And get the the book, uh, Castle of Sand. Go to his website, which is uh, stevebateswriter.com. And I want to thank you. You're, you've been a lot of fun to talk to today. You guys are great. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. You My are pleasure. so welcome, sir. And, and you can find this on uh, Positive Talk Radio. You can also find on uh, the YouTube channel and also PositiveTalkRadio.net. <laughs> so uh, that'll be that. And that'll be there forever, much longer than me, I'm afraid. But that's that's okay. Um, 
So, Steve, thank you so much for being here. Kaitana, anything else you'd like to add before we go? Peace on earth, and I love you, everyone. Thank you. Thank, thank you so you much. very much, both of you. Yes. <laughs> you, want, you want peace on earth? You should yes. do another show. This is the <laughs> And peace on earth. That would be that's a that's a dream of mine in the science fiction world that actually comes to pass. Okay, <laughs> everything is possible. Everything is possible. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, Steve, wait right there. I'll be right back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other